I was blown away this week. I don't think that I have ever heard anything more dramatic. So I was listening to Adam Schiff. As I was listening to Adam Schiff on the Senate floor, addressing his counterparts across the aisle, and he appealed to them by appealing to all that was good. He appealed to them by appealing to all that they held holy. He looked at them and he said, you are the party of Abraham Lincoln. You are the party of Abraham Lincoln. He said, you are the party of Ronald Reagan. And then he said it. He said, remember that we are the city on a hill. Remember that we are the light of the world. Remember that we are the world's hope. And I went straight from the Senate floor to the mountaintop of the man who said those words first, of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are no more powerful words. Like, if you want the most powerful words that, 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 that can be had, you have to go back to my Jesus to get the words. If you want to say powerful words, you just have to plagiarize Jesus. And, and that's what we're all in the business of, of plagiarizing Jesus. Because he got up on that mountaintop, and it wasn't U.S. senators. It was just a bunch of plain folks just like us. And he looked at us and he said, you are the light of the world. And we sat there and we thought, me? Me? You are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. And he did this incredible thing. He believed in us. He believed in us. And then he asked us to believe in him. Only then does he ask us to believe in him. And he takes us. He finds us at our nets. At our nets doing what we do. And he says, come. Get on the nets with, with me. Together. Together. Together, let's haul the nets together. I want you, I want each of you, I want each of you heart, head, and hands right now with me. Just believe in me. It's no better message than that. There's no improvement on that. There's no improvement on that anywhere, anytime, any place, not on the Senate floor, not on any other place on this planet. It's Jesus. It's Jesus from first to last. Last week, together, 
and together. You know, he doesn't tell, you, tell us like you're just a bunch of thousand shining lights. He says, together we're the light of the world. Us. And he, he just says, just be that together. And together last week we prayed. We prayed to him. John Kimbrough came forward and, hey, good to see you, Sylvia. Back again. And John came forward and, and, and said, Sylvia's something bad on a medical image. They think she has lesions on her brain. And we prayed. We prayed for that. We prayed about that. And it just so happens I was in the prayer room on, um, on Thursday. I just happened to be in there when I get a phone call from John Kimbrough, which I want to take John Kimbrough's calls right then and there. And, and so, yeah, John. And John says, I've got news. And I said, it's not lesions, right? And he said, no, it's not lesions. You know, you don't just throw your prayers out into the void and then just not take stock of what God has done. He operates ahead of time. He operates back in time. And he answers our prayers. And he answers our prayers when we're together. When we're together. You see all the tables outside. We're signing up for grow groups. And I guess, you know, I want to make a plug for that, but, but I want to make a deeper appeal on this. If you're trying to walk alone without brothers and sisters at your side, if this is the only connection that you have with your brothers and sisters, like, you need more. You must have more because you need someone at your side that when you go down that they're there to cover you when you go down. You, you need someone there at your side that you're ready to fight for and they'll fight for you. You need that. You know, we live in this corporate society and sometimes church just becomes corporate but we, that's what, not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to community. I, I was having a conversation with, with Bo this week, and, and you know, we were talking about getting grow groups going. He said, you know, there's nothing harder than making these grow groups work for my generation on under. And I said, well, why, Bo? And, and, and why do you think that is? I, I mean, you know, you've got ideas. And Bo said to me, he said, well, you know, Ross, I think we have a lost art of hosting of hosting and hostessing. You know, we have a hospitality. It's kind of a lost art. And, and, and conversation, deep conversation, it's a, it's a lost art. You know, and I, I, I said to him, Bo, it's, it's not just your generation on down. We've been losing that for a long time. We've been losing that from... My grandparents' generation, we've been losing that. Because, see, here's the thing that we don't have that they had. That we have everything. We've got all sorts of stuff. The one thing we don't have is time. The one thing we don't have is meaningful time. 
And what do we lose when we don't have time? I'll tell you what we lose. We lose all of the things that take time, like having deep friendships, like having people that would die for you, and that you, having people that you know would be there for you at 3 o'clock in the morning when you just call because you're at the end of your rope. Like having that, having people that you can talk about the really tough stuff, like we lose that, but more than that, we lose our sense. We just lose the holy. We lose the holy because the holy takes time. So I, I would like for us to take just a moment of silence and then I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me. Will you all stand? There's a wonderful old English word for, for it. It's hallowed. Hallowed, a beautiful word. Let's pray our Lord's Prayer, shall we? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you be seated? Now, Jesus calls us to enter hallowed space. He tells us that, that, that he's praying to God that we should... It should be on earth as it is in heaven. But you, you have to start with heaven. You have to start with all that's holy. You have to begin there. You, do, you don't build it from the, the ground up. The prime difference between the kingdom of heaven and, the, and this world uh, is our presence of the holy. It's the prime difference between secular culture and Jesus' culture, between the world's values and the kingdom's values, is that we live in the presence and the reality of a holy God. And it's out of that that everything must come. And that's, that's where Jesus begins his prayer, isn't it? Hallowed be thy name. We don't just have like a different paradigm for how the world works. We have a completely different reality from the reality that the world functions in. And that's what I want to preach about this morning. I want to preach about that. Now, last week I preached from the first book of Jesus, the book of Matthew. And this week, I want to preach from the 27th book of Jesus, Revelation. 
the last book of Scripture. And, and I just want to make a comment about that, that book. Martin Luther didn't want the book of Revelation in the Bible. He said that it had been up to him. He'd left it out. He, he didn't like James much either. He said James was an epistle of straw. It was like, it, you know, some nice words, but just kind of down-to-earthy stuff, and he just didn't see what the big deal was with James. He said he didn't care for Revelation, and he was why? He said because it's not very revealing. It just all seemed terribly confusing, all these wild visions, all of these things that seem to be in code. And here he is, a left-brained German professor, and he, he's going, no, it's not very revealing. Now, I would never have said that. I mean, it takes some considerable gumption to say, well, I think I'll take this book out or that book out. But I will tell you this. For all practical purposes, I think... I left for many, many years this book out of my Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of beautiful thoughts, a lot of hope and everything in there, but such a strange book. Such a strange book with, with all, all of these visions of angels and beasts and Holy of holies and lambs on thrones. Like, it didn't seem very revealing to me either. But now I think very, very differently. I think that the book of Revelation is very, very revealing. Maybe not to left brain professors, but to anybody who is ready to have their imaginations fired up by the Holy Spirit. Anybody who is ready to open their minds to dreams and, and, and open their minds to the spirits moving in their imaginations. For God to fire your imagination. Well, John writes this book and he's at a very interesting place, geographically and spiritually. He's in exile. Like, can, you, can you even imagine what that be, could be like? Can you imagine what it would be like to be told by the authorities as an American that you must leave your country, that you may never return, that you cannot join your relatives and friends? that you can never visit the church that you loved, that you must go to an island and there be watched closely by your enemies. Can you imagine what that would be like? Well, you know, but exile comes in, in many forms. Have you ever felt like you were in exile? that you had been sidelined, that you were alone, 
that there was no one there at your side? Have you ever been at that place where it's just silence and a big open space where everything that meant anything isn't there? Well, that's where John is. And it's quite a place to be. Because when you go to that place, the questions come. Who am I? Who am I? What must I do? What can I hope? And that's where John is when we find him on Patmos, where he has an incredibly vivid dream on a Sunday. Just a, a, a little question. Any of you ever have, like, really vivid dreams? Anybody? Okay, I don't. I don't, and I've, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm envious of the vivid dream people. Any of you ever have a dream that seems to be filled with meaning for where you are? I mean, I've had those. Or a dream that troubled you. And I had one of those last night. I'm still trying to unpack. Well, John has had this amazing, vivid dream, a vivid vision on a Sunday. And I'd like you to open up your imagination. You might want to close your eyes, but try and go with him as I read this. I, John, your, your brother and companion in suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance." Does that, like, give you chills? Does that make the hairs stand up on the back of your neck? I guarantee you it did to the Christians in those seven churches when this letter was read to them. And, and I guarantee you this wasn't just an off-the-wall experience for them. 
You know, when John says he was in the Spirit, they're going, yeah, I know what it's like to be in the Spirit. Even an intellectual like Paul spoke of visions that he couldn't share. He speaks about it in Scripture. Visions that he could, where he went to the highest heaven and he couldn't share it. It was like, I, I can't even share it with you, with you all. When John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, they all sat there and they nodded and they said, oh, wow. Or whatever the Greek word was for wow. <laughs> and our whole faith is built on the premise that what John experienced is real. That what the, the whole church experienced was real. We don't have this, any scriptures. We don't have a Christian faith without the right brain experience of God coming and entering human imagination. Well, how would you have responded? Right, John, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I want to say this, this to you. Your Christian life grows out of the awe of God. Like, that's where we're coming from. Like, if we don't start there, we won't end up there. That's where you start. You start with a God who is real. You start with a God who came to earth as Jesus Christ. You start with a God who, who gives his Holy Spirit and, and, and who enters our lives and our imaginations and changes us. My soul needs the heavenly vision. It can never be on earth as it is in heaven until heaven breaks in to my life. God is glorious. You begin with the glory of God. Well, John has passed out and he's lying on the ground when he says, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So here we are, we're in the last book of scripture and we've gone red letter again. We were red letter in the book of Matthew and we are red letter again because here we are with the last and the oldest of the apostles. Here we are with the only apostle who didn't die at the enemy's hand. Here we are with him and Jesus is speaking red letter words again and he's saying, I am here. I, I'm the first and the last. And yes, he is. He's the first in, in, in the... Well, he's before the end, before the world was, he is, is Jesus. But in, in, in the Jesus books, he is the first in the book of Matthew and he is the last in the book of Revelation. And he tells us in the book of Revelation, I'm coming again. I'm coming soon. And, and, and trust in this. So from first to last, the Christian life is about Jesus. 
And whenever we lose sight of that, and it's so easy to lose sight of that, like in a New York second you can lose sight of that and be off on something else. But from first to last, it's Jesus. And, and, and the living Jesus, the living Jesus who tells us that he's got the keys. Like you're trapped. You know, I just realized that dream I had last night. I was trapped. Oh boy, okay. I mean, this is for us. Back to verse 9. This, you know, he's saying, well, you know, this is, this is John, like it's great. Yeah, but it's for us, his experience. The experience itself is for us. Let's look at what he says again in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering, companion in suffering, and, and, and kingdom and patient endurance that arouse in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He says it's endurance. Endurance, folks, endurance. And like there he is, he's separated from the church he, he loved, and no preacher ever loved his church like, like John loved his church. They say that, that, that there, there was a story that is told very early on in the, the, the Christian literature that when John was an old man, he would... They'd trundle him up. He could barely walk. They'd trundle him up in front of the church, and he would look out, and he'd always say the same thing. Little children, love one another. Love one another. Like this is the man that we're reading here, and, and here he is, and he's away from the people that he loves, and he says, endurance. You've got to have endurance. But, but there's something very important here. I don't know what you think about when you think endurance. You know, if you don't watch out, you think stoic endurance. You think Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator endurance. That which does not kill me will only make me stronger. That's not the endurance. The endurance is the endurance of love. Love's endurance. You know, I'll, I'll never forget when Christine and I, lo these many years ago, we were having premarital counseling with a minister named Dick Henniger. And, you know, we'd done all the premarital stuff, and I will never forget. He said, you know, you love one another for these reasons right now. He said, when you've done life together for 10 years, you will have different reasons from these. He said, there are things that you don't see in one another now that you will see then if you endure and you will love one another for the enduring reasons. And that's what, that's the endurance that John's talking about. Look, for us, but, but for you and God. That you start out, you know, I love you. I love you, Lord. And then when you've been through it, when you've faced life with him at your side, 
then you come to love him for reasons that you didn't know there were. You need endurance. You need endurance. And it's after all of this stuff that John has his glorious vision. Like you want a glorious vision of God? Endure. Endure. He talks about suffering here. And, and, And here's something else. You mustn't be afraid of suffering. You mustn't be afraid of, of, can I have that on the screen? You mustn't be afraid of suffering. I'm sorry, like there's a bunch of these we haven't had. Okay, I'm going to back up and give you some points, you people who fill out (laughs) the outline. Christian life from first to last is Jesus. Your life grows out of the awe of God. You need endurance, and you mustn't be afraid of suffering. Well, look at what Jesus says to John. He says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. You know, I look back on my life and I'm embarrassed to say how many prayers I've prayed. Oh, Lord, keep me safe. You know, and, 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 you know, like there's times when, like, you can use a little bit of help in that regard. But so many times, that's all I've prayed. Just keep me safe. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to my dad going out to preach in Zimbabwe when it wasn't safe. And I'm thinking, he wasn't just praying, keep me safe. He was praying, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, you know, John calls us companions. Maybe a better word would be comrades. You need to stand with your comrades. Stand with your comrades. Don't try to stand alone. Can I have that on screen too, please? (laughs) Stand with your comrades. And I I guess like a question that I I would ask you, do you have comrades? Who's your one? Who's your person that you call at three o'clock in the morning and know that they would answer your call? Who's the person that you could take to your darkest place and they will go with you to your darkest place? Who is your one? Who is your one? Who's the person that you would fight for under all circumstances? Who's the person that you would go to the mat for? Who's the person that you would show courage for that, that, that you would go with them to the hard place. Who's your one? You need to stand with your comrades. 
and don't be afraid. Because Jesus says, I was dead and I'm alive. I've got you. Or has he got you? Has he got you? Have you given your life to him? First to last, it's him. Have you been baptized into him? Do you trust him? Have you received his spirit? Do you trust that? If you need to give your life to Jesus this morning, we invite you to come. And if, and if you need us to pray with you, as we prayed for one another so many times, we invite you to come. And our, our shepherds and their wives, I would be glad to, we'd all be glad to, to pray with you while we stand and sing.